Today's Egg Spotlight episode is sponsored by Coolers. Make every day a cool day for your cows. The Coolers system allows you to control the cow's environment 24-7. For more information, go to northamericanag.com and find them in the Industry Connect section. Welcome to the North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today is Director of Government Affairs and Market Regulatory Policy for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, where he oversees the cattle markets portfolio and serves serves as the staff liaison to the NCBA Live Cattle Marketing Committee. He regularly interacts with Congress, the USDA, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, the CME Group, and other industry partners to ensure that farmers and ranchers maintain an efficient and transparent environment in which to market their cattle. He grew up in the cattle industry and attended the University of Idaho, where he studied agriculture economics and political science. I'd like to welcome Tanner Beamer. Welcome, Tanner, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Chrissy. So on July 28th, the U.S. House Agriculture Subcommittee on uh, Livestock and Foreign uh, Agriculture They held a hearing to examine the current challenges in the beef supply chain, and it was great to see that a lot of those who testified, they really echoed what the NCBA has been calling for in terms of expanding processing capacity. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened at that hearing? Yeah, so uh, this was uh, kind of the latest in what has been a series of hearings on Capitol Hill uh, in the Livestock Subcommittee. The the House Agriculture Committee uh, invited four witnesses to testify. All of them had more of an academic bent. They were all PhD economists, uh, and they talked about a lot of things. They talked about the need to add more processing capacity into the system. You know, until we can start to see processing capacity uh, come more in line with the current supply of fed cattle that we have, we're going to see that continue to be an anchor on cattle prices uh, just because of economic scarcity. Uh, That's not to say that there's a a shortage of cattle or a shortage of beef by any any means. It's just a matter of the the economic term scarcity, right? If there's more hooks than there are, or there's more cattle rather than there are hooks to process them, uh, then that has uh, a weakening effect on cattle prices. And so we talked a lot about the need for processing capacity. In fact, there was a recent study done last September by Rabobank that found that the industry could economically accommodate about another 5,700 hooks of daily processing capacity, which might not sound like a lot, but over the course of a year equates to somewhere in the ballpark of of one and a half million cattle moving through the system. Yeah, that's a big impact. uh, Exactly. And and we talked about that at length. And then in addition to that, uh, this topic of market transparency came up a lot. You know, we talk a lot about that in the cattle business and how important it is to have adequate price discovery and a a transparent market so that everybody knows kind of where the prices are at and they can make informed business decisions based off of that. You know, I think the most important tool that we have to that end is livestock mandatory reporting, which we've had for just over 20 years here in the United States. Uh, And it's a, a very useful tool for our producers uh, so that they can have uh, real-time market information. And some of the economists talked a little bit about ways to take that already very useful tool and make it even more impactful and useful for cattle producers. Uh, And so that's a lot of what that hearing focused on. If I had to boil it down to two main points, I think it would be that just marketing, market transparency and processing capacity. That's great. And uh, NCBA's Ethan Lane had commented that the roadblocks that are depressing profits for the cattle producers and endangering the steady supply of affordable beef have really captured the attention of lawmakers. So do you think this attention will be short-lived or are they ready to get to work and solve some of these issues? 
You know, it would appear that they are ready to get to work. You know, we've seen legislation introduced that would uh, help bolster the processing segment of our supply chain. Uh, Congressman Dusty Johnson from South Dakota and Abby Spanberger from Virginia uh, introduced a bipartisan bill called the Butcher Block Act, which would free up some federal funds for guaranteed loans or grants in some cases to small businesses, rural ventures, and perhaps even producer-owned co-ops that want to construct a processing facility or expand upon their existing capacity. You know, any hook that we can add into the system is going to be beneficial. Uh, it's important that they have sustainable business models to be able to withstand the volatility that is just inherent to any commodities markets and cattle's no exception. Um, and then it's not just isolated to Capitol Hill either. USDA recently announced that they're allocating about $500 million to the processing sector uh, using money left over from coronavirus relief, uh, which is something that I think is, is very important. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing the details from the administration on how they plan to distribute that. Uh, there is an active request for information that USDA has published. They're asking the public uh, and industry for comments on how best to target that those funds in order to have the maximum impact uh, to bolster the supply chain and bring that capacity online in a way that's going to be sustainable in the long term. Uh, that comment period closes on August 30th and NCBA plans to submit comments and I encourage producers, you know, whether you have direct experience in processing or a perhaps a lack of processing capacity has impacted your operation, I encourage you to get those comments on the record and respond to some of the questions that USDA poses in that federal rulemaking. And then the last thing too, you know, it's it's not just isolated on the House. We're talking today about the House hearing, but on that same day, on Wednesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee also held a hearing uh, to examine competition in the beef supply chain. And there was a, a lot of discussion that went on there, mostly on market transparency and the need to have transparency in some of these market reporting so that we have better price discovery and a better idea of where the market is at any given time. Right. Yeah. And why is it so important to expand this capacity for small, regional and independent processing facilities? Sure. I mean, like I said before, we're kind of at a point in our long term cattle cycle where cattle supplies are really high um, and, you know, kind of as a result of the drought fueled uh, high cattle prices of 2014 in 2015, early in there, you know, a lot of the, the packers closed their doors. Uh, some of the bigger processors that have multiple facilities had some of their facilities go offline. And for the first time, uh, starting in 2016, for the first time in over 30 years, uh, there was a shortage of excess processing capacity. Uh, which basically means that there weren't enough hooks to process the current supplies of fed cattle. And that's had a, a downward pulling effect on cattle prices. Um, certainly uh, that was accentuated during the pandemic when we saw about 40% of our operational capacity go offline as plants temporarily shut down because of isolated COVID outbreaks, or even the chain speeds at those plants uh, slowed down as a result of a, a shorter supply of uh, a labor force. Uh, and then also just to implement social distancing protocols on the line. So the reason that we're so adamant about increasing processing capacity is because, you know, we want to bring that supply and demand back into balance, right? So that you have an opportunity to bring leverage back to the cattle producer, right? We talked mm -hmm. about scarcity a little bit earlier, right? If you can start to make cattle a little bit more scarce, 
then uh, you dramatically improve the negotiating leverage that cattle producers have when they're marketing their cattle to the packer. You know, the other way to do that is to reduce the supply of cattle. Uh, part of that is already happening as a result of the terrible, terrible droughts in the West. Um, I'm an Idaho boy originally before I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was home about a month ago, and it is about the driest I've ever seen. Uh, and my grandfather, who's 73 years old, told me it's about as dry as he's ever seen, and we definitely have it good compared to some other folks uh, further south. Uh, so that drought is is leading to uh, an immense herd liquidation. We saw that reflected in the most recent USDA cattle inventory report. Um, but reducing the cattle herd is not something that NCBA is going to advocate for, yeah, for sure. because we're seeing such high demand for our product at the consumer level, both here domestically in the United States and abroad in our export markets. Uh, beef demand is is incredibly strong and setting new benchmarks, uh, it seems like on a weekly basis. And so we want to be able to meet that demand. And so the best way to ensure that that happens in a way that's going to ensure profitability for our members is to increase the number of hooks in the system so that we can continue to have viable businesses on the producer side and satisfy that consumer demand. Yeah, definitely. And then NCBDA is also pushing to reform the product of the USA label so that it benefits both consumers and producers. So how will it do both of those things? So currently, the product of the USA label is generically approved by USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service. And what that means is there's no source verification that occurs to make sure that that product is actually of U.S. origin. As a matter of fact, product that's imported from other countries is eligible to bear that label so long as it undergoes minimal or substantive transformation is the technical term for it. Right. But that can be as simple as repackaging. So product comes wow. in from another country. It gets repackaged in an FSIS facility, it then is eligible to bear that product of the USA label. Uh, NCBA in June filed a petition with FSIS asking them to eliminate the product of the USA label um, or at the very least change it to something more uh, more easy for consumers to understand, such as you know processed in the United States. Um, because we think that product has the potential to confuse consumers into believing that that product is 100% of US origin. You know, in, in that petition we filed, the most poignant example of this being a problem is uh, a, a, a photo that we'd submitted as evidence from a grocery store here in the D.C. area that showed a cut of meat in packaging in a grocery store meat case that simultaneously said product of the USA in red, white, and blue. And then in tiny black print under the label, uh, the nutrition facts, it said product of Uruguay. So that's that's confusing and potentially misleading to consumers. And so uh, we want to be able to make sure that if our producers choose to market their cattle as a product of the USA, that that actually means something and that they can verify that. Um, and so we we feel the best way to do that is through voluntary programs, such as uh, through processed verified programs, which are overseen by the Ag Marketing Service at USDA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's a bunch of different PVPs. Um, think, think things along the lines of non-hormone treated cattle or natural cattle, uh, things of that nature. Right. Yeah. And uh, also the and uh, the NCBA sites to help uh, defend family farms against the absolutely devastating proposed tax hikes. So what is the NCBA proposing for that? 
You know, uh, we have a pretty extensive policy book uh, on the subject of tax policy. Uh, and look, our number one priority is going to be to uh, reduce the tax burden on America's food producers, in our case, cattle farmers and ranchers. Um, that has been our priority and will continue to be so. Uh, and then secondary to that, and kind of along with it, it's going to be safeguarding those victories that we've won along the way in helping make sure that the tax system is fair to those people who may on a balance sheet uh, look like they are quite wealthy, but you know, we always talk about in agriculture we're capital rich and cash poor, uh, you know, that, that needs to be reflective of their tax obligations. Uh, right now, there is a major piece of legislation being debated in Congress and with the administration um, on domestic infrastructure. And that is a multi-hundred billion, in some cases, I've, I've, at the beginning when we started negotiating this, it was a multi-trillion dollar uh, package. We got to be able to pay for that somehow. And one of the ways that this administration has proposed to do that is by reforming the tax system. Uh, we've been really concerned by some of these conversations about eliminating the stepped up basis, uh, increasing capital gains tax. Uh, you know, the death tax falls under that category as well. And we want to make sure that this administration understands that that is not a tenable solution for agriculture. We have already been faced with major black swan events from COVID-19 to the fire at Tyson's Holcomb processing facility. You know, these are, these are things that farmers and ranchers are still recovering from today. And they're operating on very narrow margins. Increasing their tax burden is not the proper way to pay for this infrastructure program. Yeah, that's it. And and they need, you know, the producers in, in all of North America need to be start being protected more. And, and you guys are doing a great job of pushing this stuff forward. Well, thank you. And another area of concern is the regulatory flexibility for livestock haulers. So there has been some progress in this area too, right? Uh, there has been a little bit. We've seen some pieces of legislation introduced and we have seen multiple emergency um, extensions of hours of service, right? Because particularly uh, during, the uh, during the COVID pandemic, this was incredibly important. We talked about this shortage of beef processing capacity. Well, when some of these facilities uh, temporarily shut down because there were so many COVID outbreaks in the meat plants, those cattle had to be moved to other facilities that were still open. And had they not been able to be on the road, the necessary amount of time to do so, then the impacts from COVID had the potential to be tremendously higher than they are, mm -hmm. uh, than they ended up being. Um, and so when we start talking about hours of service, you know, we really do need to make sure that, you know, we're, we're not categorized in the same uh, bucket as those that are hauling widgets, right? Mm -hmm. We are hauling live animals. There is an animal welfare component uh, that is involved with making sure that we can get those animals to and from their destination in the safest way possible. Um, and, and we can't do that oftentimes when we have these, these burdensome regulations that, you know, are very well intended. Everybody wants to be safe on the roads. Uh, but, but again, we're hauling a live animal and that needs to be taken into account as the administration starts to look at some of these rule makings. Absolutely. And what about 30 by 30? The NCBA wants to ensure that obviously the private property rights are protected. So how is that conversation developing? Yeah, so 30 by 30 is a... Is a, a 
I'm not sure quite how to characterize it. It's not a, an, an, an order per se. It's an idea that this administration has and what they want to accomplish. They want to conserve roughly 30% of the U.S. land mass by the year 2030. Um, a lot of the country I, uh, is, is already uh, owned by the federal government. In the Western United States, um, some, some states like Nevada are as much as 85% uh, owned by the federal government. You know, there's oh. a lot of opportunities for uh, the, the, the federal government to kind of engage there and from a conservation standpoint. From NCBA's perspective, though, we want to make sure that working lands are factored into that because, you know, we, we, we can conserve land or we can preserve it. Preserving land is a total hands-off approach, and that is what results in catastrophic wildfire like you see in California and invasive species overgrowth. Those lands need to be actively managed, and the best people to do that are ranchers. Uh, they have a vested interest in making sure that that land is left in a better condition than it was when they got it. Uh, there's a generational aspect. Most uh, family ranches are multi-generational and they have a vested interest in passing it on to their children, their grandchildren. But there's also an economic incentive because if that land is not productive uh, from a uh, vegetative perspective, then that's having a direct impact on that rancher's ability to earn a livelihood. So as we start to talk about 30 by 30, we want to make sure that in the conservation sense, there's a path for working lands. And that, that that's not just limited to private property. Most of our ranchers in the Western United States, um, their livestock spend at least a portion of their life on federal grazing allotments, be it through the Bureau of Land Management or the Forest Service, or in some cases, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife or uh, Army Corps of Engineer-owned land. You know, there's there's no shortage of, of federal agencies that have control over lands in the West, um, and we need to make sure that uh, their presence is accounted for as a conservation metric. You know, we have all this research that shows that you can control the spread of invasive species, you can capture more carbon in the soil, uh, you can uh, mitigate the effects of catastrophic wildfire all by just having grazing animals out there on the landscapes. Uh, so that has been our number one priority as we engage with this administration on this 30 by 30 initiative. Right. Do you know what the percentage is now? If well, 30%? You know, that that's a great question. Right. And I think it all kind of depends on uh, how how best they they how they define conservation. Right. Uh, and this is a little bit outside the scope of, of what I deal with. Uh, the Public Lands Council, which is a, a sister organization to NCBA, is really the one that's taking the lead on this issue. Um, so I don't have that figure offhand. But again, it really does kind of depend upon the definition of what constitutes yeah. a conserved landscape. Yeah, that's it. So is there anything we as people in the industry in agriculture that we can do to help these situations? You know, kind of bringing it back to the cattle markets, because, you know, that's my bread and butter. It's it's what I work on on a regular basis here in Washington, D.C. You know, it sounds really cliche, uh, but as a cattle industry, we have to remember that there is far more that unites us than divides us. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes we can get bogged down in, in disagreements about things that occur within our own industry. Uh, but we need to remember that there are other threats to our industry and on the whole and in its entirety. I think the most poignant example I can think of of that is during Wednesday's Judiciary Committee hearing, Senator Booker made a statement. Uh, he recently introduced a bill that would destroy 
destroy the cattle feeding sector if it were enacted. This is called the Farm Systems Reform Act. And during his comments in the Judiciary Committee hearing, he said that livestock production poisons our air and our water and tortures animals. So if we're going to be successful in preserving this industry for the next generation, we can't allow ourselves to get caught up in the infighting. Everything we discussed in those hearings was important, and I don't want to detract from that, but we have to keep our eye on the ball if we're going to keep some of these actual existential threats at bay. Absolutely. And I one last question for you. So why are you devoting your career and life to these issues that affect producers? You know, I grew up in the cattle industry and uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have that background. And uh, I think that oftentimes the biggest barrier to uh, success on the ranch comes from red tape. Uh, and oftentimes that red tape is established by people that don't have a firm grounding right. of why we do what we do. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense, right? I don't want to I don't want to make this a, a comment on, you know, the fact that we need to educate consumers and educate the public on what we do. I think that is important. Uh, but I also don't think that we should should, you know, approach it from the perspective of, well, you should understand why it is what I'm doing. You shouldn't uh, be involved in my backyard. You know, oftentimes a lot of our generally accepted management practices on the ranch would seem very, very foreign to someone that doesn't know. Uh, have the the same background or the knowledge as to why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, So I kind of decided that uh, the best place for me to do that was here in Washington, D.C., because that's where a lot of the big decisions uh, get made. Uh, And I've been really fortunate to be able to do it for the past four years. Right. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for everything that you do. And uh, thank you so much for joining me as well. I really appreciate your insight and that the fact that the NCBA is actively fighting for producers across America. You bet. Thank you for having me on today. Yeah. And thanks to all who are watching or listening. If you want more information, the links are provided in the show notes. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to North American Egg Spotlight on our YouTube and Rumble channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.